So, I generally am comfortable taking a book of the Bible or a section of the Bible and walking through it for like months on end until you're bored stiff. Like that's what I typically do on Sundays. So this is a, like a topical series, so it's a little out of my comfort zone. What I'm going to do is I'm going to, um, uh, we're going to talk about marriage this month. I'm just going to hang out for the next couple weeks in this book, Love and Respect, which is based around Ephesians 5. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then in May, the first two weeks of May, we're going to talk about parenting, which is another thing that I feel clueless at times on parenting, so I can't wait to hear what I have to say. In this parenting series, it's going to be amazing. Um, and then we'll get into the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, the basic teachings of Jesus, and we'll hang out there throughout the summer. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, so that's like disclaimer number one. Disclaimer number two <clears throat> has to do with, with generalizations. And I was talking to Gene about this um, before the service. We're, we're talking about what is like, you know, I'm talking in the context of husband and wife and what's generally true of the genders and, and, and lots of just, I know that generalizations aren't always true. So what I want to encourage you to do is take this stuff and apply it to the context of your marriage. And, you know, don't throw something out just because it's not the way it works with, with your particular family. Try to find kernels of truth that you can apply and don't, like, throw the baby out with the bathwater. I just want to encourage you not to, like, write off the series because a few things don't apply, okay? So, so there's that. Um, I also, at the beginning of each of these, I want to say that um, there is no shame in marriage counseling. And, and I just, I, I want to encourage you if you're struggling or if you just need a tune-up, to consider real marriage counseling. I'm not real marriage counseling. I have no expertise in counseling, no training as a counselor. But um, I, I can. my recommendation is um, Emerge, E-M-E-R-G-E, Emerge Counseling in uh, Akron. Um, I, I know of a lot of success stories out of there. You can just Google um, Emerge in Akron or Emerge Marriage Counseling. It'll take you to their website, or I can help you get connected um, with, with them. Uh, I, I know pastors of mega churches, thousands, spiritual giants who I consider spiritually you know, superior, who go to marriage counseling regularly for issues and just to keep things healthy. So don't rule out. There's no weakness. There's no nothing. It's a sign of strength and commitment. If you need it, get marriage counseling. It can, it can you know, the, the slightest little thing that you come to realize the slightest aha moment can can take the happiness level exponentially up for the rest of your life. So yeah, that's that's uh, yeah. There's that. I also want to encourage you. These next two weeks, we're going to talk through some very specific man. Like husbands do this, wives do this. Uh, the different approaches, different things to check on in your marriage. I, I want to encourage you strongly. Don't like mm-mm. you know, like mm-hmm. That kind of a thing, the, the, the passive-aggressive whatever, or the, uh, the other thing that sometimes I see happen is, is um, a husband or a wife tries something, like proactive, and the spouse kind of says, well, somebody was listening on Sunday, like, uh, you know, just to break the awkwardness of the thing. Uh, based on family of origin, sometimes those little intimate things get really awkward, and, and you, like, lash out, and it, like, wet blanket from the start. So just let your husband or wife 
try stuff with no comment or encourage, you know, encourage them. Um, just be thoughtful about that because you can wreck a, a really good thing. So, yeah, there's that. All right. I want to I talk about turning pro. So there was a, an author um, named Stephen Pressfield who wrote a really good book um, called The War of Art. And The War of Art is, is a book about doing anything great. Anything that you do great or worthwhile in life. you got to turn pro to keep it great or worthwhile. Amateurs do things when they feel like it. And they maintain things when they feel like it. Pros, whether you're in the mood or not. So let's talk about this, this phrase, in the mood. Now typically in the marriage context, in the mood is reserved for physical intimacy. Like in the mood, not in the mood, have a headache, too tired, kids were a nightmare, whatever. But let's think bigger than that. Let's think about in the mood as a way to say, oh, I don't really feel like that right now. And apply it to different kinds of, of contexts. We have to, in our marriage, treat some of the things that we're talking about over these next couple weeks like discipline. Treat them as disciplines within marriage. Things that we do when we feel like it and when we don't. Because what happens in a lot of marriages and parenting and other close relationships is we end up treating our closest relationships because we feel safe. We end up getting amateur in those relationships. And it's kind of like, ah, I don't feel like, you know, whatever. And, and, and things start to happen. So let's apply that to the workplace. <clears throat> let's say that starts to happen at work. Like you get a new job and, and you're excited about it and, and you love the work and you like the boss and the coworkers and you're the first one in the office and you're engaged in every meeting and you meet every deadline with time to spare and you're the last one to leave at night and your boss loves you because you're a hard worker and you love the job. And then all of a sudden you start to get familiar, saturated a little bit. What if you were to start going amateur. Eh, I don't really feel like going in today. I'm not in the mood. I'm not really in the mood to engage in this meeting. I'm just going to kind of slack off and, you know, put my head down on the desk and, or on the conference table and take a nap. I'm going to leave at two o'clock in the afternoon today because I really don't feel like doing any more work. Oh, that deadline, I don't feel like doing the work to get it done. Things start to slip and you're probably going to get yourself fired, right? Because you're not being professional. Now, take it a step further. Some new young uh, man or woman starts to work in the company and they're excited. And they're there early in the morning and they're the last ones to leave. And they're engaged in every meeting. And all of a sudden now your boss, bad things can happen because you're not being professional. And the same is true with marriage. There are these disciplines and bad things start to happen when we start only kind of, eh, you know, I'm not in the mood. Or only, you know, following through on certain disciplines when we're in the mood, whatever those disciplines are. All right, so uh, let's move into this book, um, Love and Respect. The book is, I, I think there are still some copies out in the welcome desk. A $10 donation helps us recover some of our costs, but it's not necessary and we don't have any good system for it. So just take one and if you want to put 10 bucks in the offering plate some week, fine, or leave it laying on the offering or on the welcome desk or whatever. I mean, we're not like keeping track of 
who donates what for these. I just would love for you to consider. For me, this is the best marriage book out there, and it's built around Ephesians chapter 5. Each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. The wife must respect her husband. Love and respect. The book is built around the idea that it's the wife's job to respect the husband, and the the husband's job is to respect the wife. And when both sides will commit to energizing those needs, great things happen. And and this is a, you know these the the author um, poured a lot into marriage counseling around these principles has a lot of great stories for that and and so it's it's like this it's it's a reshaping in many ways um, if we look at the scorecard and it's really important regardless of whether you get the book or not this is this is um, I think uh, some important marriage stuff generally marriages are built around the idea of love it's one thing love. Don't believe me, go to an anniversary section of a gift card you know, aisle and try to find I respect you. You're not going to find that because it's all verbiage around love. And so the scorecard looks something like this. Like if you picture a big marriage scorecard, and I hope you don't really like do this, but let's just say we kept score in a marriage. You'd have horizontal lines would be acts of service and different things that mean love. Uh, you know, listening, expressing feelings, things like that, uh, serving, whatever. And then the vertical lines would be like husband to wife and wife to husband. And then you put little stickers on who does what, and that's the marriage scorecard. But what the book advocates, according to Ephesians 5, is that there's really two separate scorecards. There's a scorecard from the husband to the wife that's the love scorecard. Acts of love. But the wife to the husband is a whole different scorecard. And that's respect. So the husband needs to energize the love level for the wife, but the wife needs to energize the respect level. And this is new information. Like, uh, we're not really going to do this, okay? So this is hypothetical. This is um, um, rhetorical. If I were to say, husbands, raise your hand if your wife has told you verbally, I love you in the past year. I think most husbands would raise their hand. Generally, that's often true that wives will verbalize, I love you one way or another to their husbands. But if I were to say, now raise your hand if your wife said, I respect you, like verbally, that phrase, I respect you in the past year, probably be some awkwardness and some crickets. Right? Because that just isn't how we typically approach the marriage relationship. It's all about love. Now, husbands need love too, and wives need respect as well, but it's a different focus saying, here's the, here's the number one need. The second thing to understand from the book that I think whether you get the book or not is really important is what he calls the crazy cycle. The crazy cycle. The crazy cycle is when a husband and wife start to fight each other unknowingly around those needs. So it goes something like this. Let's say that the wife, again, generalizations, generally true, apply it to your context. Let's say that the wife um, is feeling unloved, like she's just been the husband's gotten out of discipline distracted, whatever, and started to take the marriage for granted, and he's not expressing love in meaningful ways. 
oftentimes the wife would like lash out or do something. Sometimes women fight with contempt, whether it be an eye roll or a look or a tone of voice. Well, the husband feels disrespected from that. So the wife has legitimate gripe. She lashes out in a way that's disrespectful. The husband feels that and gets more unloving and stonewalls or walks out of the room or whatever. Now he has just, you know, she just hit him where it really hurts and he hits back where it really hurts because now she's feeling the unlove, the lack of love from the stonewall. So she gets aggressive and does something, well, the, well whatever it is. And he, I don't want to start, you know, giving examples because <laughs> um, he feels more disrespected. And then I'm like tripping over. I'm just going to stand here. But that's the crazy cycle, and it happens, and it's real. And as you read the book, you really, yeah, I see that. It's how couples fight. So the book is about energizing those needs. And today we're going to talk about the husband energizing the needs of the wife, which are basically centered around love. So he gives five suggestions, six suggestions, to energize this need for love in most wives. And again, all six of these probably aren't going to hit, but you, you find the ones that are, and you discipline yourself to make sure you're pouring in through these ways. So, there's an acronym the author uses called um, COUPLE. And the first, the C, these are ways, husbands, that we should engage in our, our, wives, or in our wife's life to show love. And I want you to just kind of ask yourself, how are you doing in these areas? So the first one is closeness. We find it in the earliest places in the Bible that talks about marriage. I'm going to read the English Standard Version, the ESV, because it specializes in accuracy and word-for-word translation. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, the, the, the idea of hold fast in older translations is, is translated cleave. There's a real like ongoing union described, a oneness. And I, I think it's what every single wife assumes that she's getting into in marriage, a kind of, of, of unity, a oneness. In the book of Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament, uh, life was built around the Old Testament scriptures. It was called a theocracy where God was the governor and he handed out his way of life and they were obedient to it. And it prescribes that a newlywed couple was given the first year by God to do nothing but hang out with each other. Like no work, men didn't go off to war in their first year of marriage. He just hung out and developed oneness. The author talks about this moment uh, when, he, just saying, generally speaking, uh, females as a gender from very early on, that this, this is just something that, that is especially true of, of, of females. Uh, he said he's laying in bed with his daughter, his four-year-old daughter, and it's night, and they're like, he's like putting her to bed, tucking her in, and he's laying next to her, and it's pitch black in the room, and she's talking. Just, you know, how kids just, just talking. And it, again, pitch black, can't see the pan in front of your face, and she says, Daddy! Look at me. 
And he's thinking, well, I, it's pitch black. What's, you know, face me. And she took his face and she turned it. Like she could tell that he was looking away from her and, and wanted like the oneness of, and he said, I have sons and they don't do that. And like as, as two boys, if my boys are saying, dad, look at me, it's because they're either like shooting some basket, you know, like making some crazy shot or jumping off the deck or something like that. But, but it's not like the relational oneness. Here are some examples the book gives, and I'm sure it's different, you know, for different wives. Hold hands, lots of hugs, physical affection without agenda. Alone time with no distractions. Walk together, set up a date, go out of your way to meet some kind of need like running an errand for unexpectedly. Express value for uh, your wife's insights. I know in my own marriage, this closeness thing, it can be difficult because Kelly and I both work full time. And there are times where, you know, life gets away from us. And and so one of the things that I try to do is I'm an early riser, so it's a little easier for me. Um, I make breakfast, and then before she leaves for work, uh, from like 7 to 7.15, we have breakfast together and, and talk. And she's not an early riser, and sometimes she's still a little groggy, but we still... Sometimes there are days where like our marriage happens for the day in that 15 minutes. So try to protect that. And then at night, like 9.45 to 10.15, I, I try to sit with her and watch HGTV or, or an old Friends episode. Um, now, being an early riser, I'm usually around 9.30 ready to check out. Um, but I try to you know, stay up and stay engaged for that most nights of the week. Um, because there are a lot of times where that's where the closeness in our marriage that we have is, is forged in those moments of like, and, it, and sometimes it can be a discipline. Like, I, I got to do this even though I want to go crash in bed, or even though I want to sleep in. It's a discipline at times. The O in the acronym is for openness. Your wife most likely wants you to share your heart and feelings with her. Not true of every wife, but generally speaking, a desire for for feelings and emotions. And, you know, I am, this is one, that, like, these two are, are kind of like what I'm, good, what I'm good at and what I'm not good at, these next two. So openness, I think I'm generally okay with that. I, I, I journal a lot. I'm reflective. I think I'm pretty self-aware. And it's fairly easy for me to articulate my feelings with Kelly, maybe even too much so. But um, this is an important part of energizing that love need in most wives. So you're sharing your feelings and emotions. You're sharing details. Because man, women love details. I don't know what he was wearing. I just watched the game. Yes, we played poker for four hours and didn't talk about a thing. It was amazing. The book talks about making eye contact. I'm not very good at, at, you know, good, strong eye contact. Talk about family issues, stuff about the kids. Pray together. Talk about spiritual growth stuff, things you're learning about Jesus and about your walk with God, what you feel like God's saying to you, what you're doing about it. Turn off the TV, look away from the phone, turn off the phone, full attention. Discuss financial concerns, job concerns. Talk about real things that are emotionally charged. The you. So that was openness, and I hope you're asking yourself, how am I doing with having real, 
open discussion, as a discipline. The U in the acronym is understanding. The opposite of understanding, in this sense, is fixing, minimizing, or simplifying. I'm horrible at this in our marriage. In an effort to be helpful and ultimately return Kelly to a happy state, I offer all kinds of unhelpful advice when she calls me from work, and I still don't really understand what she does. Like, I have no business speaking into her job, but I'm always trying to minimize and simplify and fix things. It's never really helped, because what women often want is just someone to listen and understand. Now, there's a video that Marcus demanded that we show to help us understand understanding. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like... There's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Come on, if you would just... Don't! Try to see things my way Do I have to keep on talking? So, that was not Marcus. That was all me. I'll take the heat, and I know that that, you know, jokingly, and I, you know, I hope that you can get past any, that let's look, look, it makes the woman look pretty bad, and that, that's funny and all that, but to me anyway. Um, but let's, I mean, look, looking past all that, it does point out something that is generally true, and that women oftentimes in a relationship, it's, it's just, just listen. And I tell myself this with, with Kelly, don't, don't minimize, don't simplify, just marinate in the emotions. And that's what I honestly just tell myself because I know that, that there's, it's more about the relationship and the connection than it is about any solution, often. Um, I talked to a woman, a wife, just this past week about this, showed her the video and, and was saying that you know, I'm going to get fried on stage, but I think this is a great example and a good teaching tool and she said yeah you know what though a lot of times I do want my husband's advice sometimes I don't sometimes I don't know what I want and I said exactly that's why it's best to just marinate in the emotions and connect 
I know of one, one wife who said, I usually tell my husband ahead of time, like if I'm about to vent, I'm not looking for anybody to fix this or minimize this, or not minimize, but I'm not looking for solutions, I'm not looking to fix, just, I just want you to listen. Like, and that's a great thing that she did, there to kind of frame it up for a husband. But, but that's, the idea of understanding is, you're not fixing, you're, you're seeking to relate emotionally. Very important in, in showing love. In the relationship, the P in the um, in the acronym is peacemaking. Extremely important, extremely biblical. The lifestyle of Jesus insists upon you owning peace to the fullest extent. You owning your role in making peace in any relationship, especially a marriage relationship. You do whatever you can to make any relationship right. You immediately forgive entirely. You accept nothing but reconciliation and relational peace. It takes exhausting amounts of work, but prevents relational cancer. You say, I'm sorry and mean it. You pursue any sign of tension and resolve it. You compromise and concede if at all possible. You never, like, just forget about it. Just drop it. You work it through. Forget about it and drop it just ignores a problem. And men, and this is, again, generally speaking, men can compartmentalize much better than women. So it's easier for us to say, to, or to just, like, just get over it. I've heard it said men are like waffles, Men are like, or women are like spaghetti. So, you know, men have these little compartments, and you can like fill half a waffle full of syrup, and it, the other half is dry. Uh, men are compartmentalized generally. Women like spaghetti, it's all interwoven. So, what happened at 9 a.m. can affect a, an unrelated event at 3 30. And so being committed to making peace and pursuing peace is saying we're not going to let any compartmentalization happen. We're going to treat everything like everything relates and we're not going to allow for tension to slip in. Loyalty is the L word in couple. And I'll just, I want to read to you um, kind of what he says about loyalty um, in the book. You speak highly of your wife in front of others. You are involved in things important to her. That, you know, that speak highly of her in front of others. Whenever I post something positive about Kelly on Facebook, it's the only way I get likes. You help her make decisions such as ones regarding the children. You don't correct her in front of the children. You don't look lustfully at other women. You make her and your marriage a priority. You're never critical of her or your children in front of others. How you doing on that one? I ask myself that because I can be a pretty coarse joker. 
and at times tell a lot of jokes at her expense and have really tried to work on that over the years. You include her in social gatherings when others may leave their spouse's home. There have been times where Kelly has said to me, never like angrily, but man, I didn't see you all night, like at a party. And so I realized that I have a tendency to just kind of go off and whatever, sometimes hide from the social event altogether. Um, but it's, it's important that I, that I hang with, with Kelly. You tell the kids, don't speak to your mother that way. You call and let her know your plans. You keep commitments. And you speak positively of her and the children at all times. Those are some suggestions for loyalty. Now finally, we get to the E, and that's esteem. I'm going to read 1 Peter 3, 7. There's some old world verbiage and ideas in here that may rub you the wrong way, but let's fight for meaning here. What, what is the author really getting at? Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, how we treat our wives affects God answering our prayers, if I understand this passage right. Now, that word, therefore, showing honor... Um, some versions translate it respect. So it reads kind of like when it says, you know, wives respect your husbands. And there it says, husbands respect your wives. But the, res- the word, the Greek word is different. This word that's translated honor or respect actually comes from a monetary kind of root. And the idea is when you own something of great value, you treat it in, in a way that, that gives it value. And so what he's saying is, you know, we treat our wives as God's greatest gift to us and do things actively to help them understand their great worth. So you're giving worth. You're treating your wife in, in ways that help her know that you show her like great worth and value to you personally. So how are you doing with that? What are you doing actively to show your wife, to, to raise your wife's esteem, her worth? Now let me close. Like those are, those are you know, six ways to energize your marriage. Next week we'll talk about ways that wives can energize the respect levels toward their husbands. But I'm going to close with the sobering return to the workplace, that kind of in the mood analogy, like when you feel like it. What happens when you stop working at the closeness thing with your wife because you just don't feel like it? You're tired, you're stressed, she has no idea what kind of responsibilities you have at work, the stress you're under, and you come home and you crash and you stop with the closeness thing, but the neighbor who's home when you're not starts to provide that for her. What happens when you stop trying to understand and really listen sympathetically and empathetically when your wife doesn't get that from you, but, but maybe one of your friends starts to provide that need for her? What happens when you 
um, stomp on your wife's need for esteem and, and you don't provide that, but, but somebody else in the picture begins to help, a co-worker begins to pour that esteem into her. That's a danger to your marriage. And so we want to be the champion source of these six things for our spouse. 1 Corinthians 7, I'll close with this. 1 Corinthians 7 says that Satan, a very powerful force in the world, according to Scripture, that Satan has a plan. He's active in your marriage. Like We all like to believe that God is for our marriage and helping our marriage, but the Bible says so is Satan. And this is one way that we can combat his activity by energizing those needs, by reaffirming our love for our spouses so that nobody else can and nobody else does and so that our spouse isn't looking to anybody else for that. So I want to challenge you to think about those things and maybe write some things down and and ask, what am I going to do with discipline when I feel like it and when I don't to meet those needs? All right, let's stand and pray. Father, I want to pray that you would help us be champions for marriage, that, that, we would, that we would be champions for the marriages of those around us, and champions in our own marriage of these things, that, that we would energize fully the love needs and the respect needs of our spouse. Remind us and urge us to do that. Pray for your blessing on our marriage, that we would be, as a church, filled with great marriages to honor you with our marriages. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good week. Bye, Bye, Herb.